Oh, jeez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a, a, a late starting, because of technical difficulties, episode of the Teamwork, A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I'm joined by the man in green, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how you doing? I'm I'm so glad to be here. I was uh, a little panicked because uh, yes, we had a we had a meltdown with technology, and uh, <laughs> won't explain it. It'll take too long. <laughs> yeah, we've got thirty minutes, but I'm glad that you were able to restore things to their proper place, and we're we're able to have this conversation. Apologize to viewers who tried to connect and uh, saw that our session wasn't live yet. Uh, hopefully. Uh, you'll hop on and join us. We'd, we'd love to have the interaction with you. But before we get started, uh, it's been a while uh, since we had a conversation. You've done a lot of things uh, since we had our last episode. So uh, how are things going? Fantastic. I mean, I've. it's just been, I'm so excited. Christian and, and Jana and I were able to travel to Cyprus and Lebanon and I think that I was just at the airport the last time we were talking, headed to headed to Cyprus, and that was just an incredible trip. And uh, we were at least able to have you join us remotely at the at the conference. And I will say that people were mesmerized by your presentation. the The whole room of three hundred and fifteen people was just completely focused on what you were saying, and uh, I had I had so much fun. I mean, we. We're there meeting great people, and and then what happened is is the whole world came to this uh, PMI Global Conference in Las Vegas, and so we went down to Las Vegas, and we had I attended the conference, and we had dinners with with people from all over the world. I think at our house we had people from Ukraine, Greece, Lebanon, Cyprus, um, Brazil, and and uh, some friends from from the U.S. And the next morning, I took him up Red Rock, hiking in the Red Rock. We had 20 people, again, from all over the world. It was just a blast. So, yeah, I've been having fun. What about you? Enough about me. Wow. Uh, that's that's incredible. Well, I wish I could have joined you over there in Cyprus and Lebanon. It sounded like it would have been great. Uh, but after two and a half plus years of successfully evading COVID, my number came up. And, uh, and yeah, I came down with it and then... That prevented me from getting on an airplane and, and joining you. But I'm glad that uh, things went well over there. You showed me some pictures of uh, some amazing stuff over there in Lebanon. Uh, sounded like it was absolutely fantastic. And yeah, uh, I, I completely forgot about the PMI conference in Vegas. So I'm glad that you mentioned that too. So uh, super exciting stuff, Spencer. Why don't we dive into our topic for today, which was uh, precipitated by a couple of things. Number one, uh, the... The, the fascinating Twitter evolution as Elon Musk has taken over. Uh, wow, that's been really, really interesting to watch. Uh, number two, this article that we shared that came out a week or two ago in Inc. Magazine showing that some CEOs were kind of secretly cheering Elon on. Uh, he's gotten a lot of negative publicity as he's remaking Twitter. Right. Uh, uh, with a lot of collateral damage. And uh, um, so that's been controversial, which prompted us to, to, to have a conversation about how do we find balance in this really chaotic world that just seems to be swinging from one thing to another, from COVID to mass uh, layoffs to mass hiring, and then the great resignation, and then now tech laying off tons of people, 
now and, and so this environment is just continually just like flip-flopping back and forth right. and it's uh causing a lot of uncertainty amongst employees who uh i think the statistic that you gave me before we started our conversation today spencer was 81 percent of people now fear losing their jobs uh right. so uh that's just evidence of how things have been going back and forth. And so I'm really eager to dive into this topic with well, you today. Well, me too. And, and I think one of the, the challenges that, that we have is, is how do we find balance so that we create the best possible outcomes for employers and, and employees? You know, when, when um, I think I'm actually one of those that was secretly cheering on Elon, and some of you may be frustrated with me for that. And that comes from actual personal experience in in an environment, work environment, uh, where you know some employees had a, a lot of control, and that had a huge negative impact on on the organization. You know, we have seen a, a swing because with with COVID, what happened in in the in the tech world, there was such a huge demand for now online services, how we did business changed and how we ordered, you know, we weren't shopping in the stores, we were shopping online. So Amazon and and all the, the, the tech companies, uh, Meta and everybody else, they were just gobbling up all all the, the tech talent that there was out there, which caused a, a lot of opportunities for these for these great minds and, and they were demanding more. They were demanding more wages and salaries. It was driving salaries up which, you know, was increasing costs for, you know, overhead for business that impacted all sectors, not just tech. So wages are increasing. And what, what we've seen is that that, that demand um, for tech services waned after uh, the, the, uh, the, some of the changes in the market started to normalize as we started to get back to normal. I mean, we're still in, in a pandemic, but things started to normalize. And organizations, Mark Zuckerberg, all these others started to realize that they had overhired, that they had miscalculated the the change in, in the demand in the marketplace, that that was going to be permanent. And so, you know, when we had the, the quiet quitting and the great resignation, people who had the power to say, hey, I'm going to work where I want, when I want, how I want, started to shift. And now we have leaders that are saying, listen, we're tired of <clears throat> employees not showing up Mentally, physically, we, we've talked about presenteeism in the past. They're not giving their all. We're paying them so much more, and we're not getting the value. So you have organizations like you know Ford Corporation saying, hey, if you're going to quiet quit, um, then you're out of here. If you can't prove to us that you are all in and you're going to be uh, engaged and, and working hard, um, we're gonna, you have 90 days to prove it to us. If not, we're going to remove your pension. And so we have leaders that are starting to take harsh measures because they can now, because people are afraid that they might lose their position. So when you talk about 81% of people who are fearing losing their job, part of this going back to the office that we're seeing right now is forced. It's not, you know, you're not getting engagement. You're not getting a compliant, you're getting compliance, but you're not getting the engagement that you want. And so what will happen in my opinion and my belief is that when the power switches back again to the employees at some future time, you're going to see uh, an even more negative whiplash. And I think that's that that's a real problem. We need to be, as leaders, we need to, to not just take advantage of the power that's coming, just as some employees took advantage. We need to be able to, to find balance. 
and to and to help our employees want to be there. And so if that means we need them in the office to do it the right way. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I just got so excited. But I, I wanted to have you uh, share some of the, you know, you talked about storytelling uh, in your in your keynote in, in Cyprus. And how does that relate to what we're talking about? Well, I think it's it's very relevant because as leaders, we need to be able to get the buy-in of our, our people to get the best team performance possible. And one of the best ways to do that is to help them understand really the, the, the need for, uh, for returning to the office if that is truly a need. There are some businesses, Christian, that have to have people in person. I mean, there's just no question about it. But there are some companies that have the choice to be hybrid. And, and I think one of the challenges that, that we have is that some leaders have not taken a stand about we need to be in the office or we're going to work remotely. They're just leaving it up to the employees. And that's problematic for one reason. And that is, is that, as you mentioned, this is a VUCA world right now. And it has been for, for decades, but even more so now. VUCA means volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, right? And that, it actually, that was a term that was coined by the military, you know, on the battlefield. In a sense, we're, we're, we're on a battlefield. So how do you help employees feel like they want to be engaged? Give them some certainty. And one of the ways to do that is to tell them what you expect. Here's, here's why we need you in the office. And, and, and then share that with a story. Um, you were using storytelling to show, uh, well, why don't you explain your, 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 what you talked about in, in Cyprus? And we'll tie that to this topic. Well, <clears throat> well, you know, what we typically see in a, in a business environment is uh the the power of persuasion right so so how do you persuade people you can inspire them or you can put the fear of god into them uh uh but but you know aside from you know uh potentially harmful and unethical and illegal in many cases forms of persuasion in a work environment, we typically have two, uh, two vehicles that we can use to persuade people to come along the journey with us. One of those is rhetoric, which is uh, providing evidence. It's fact-based. We see this a lot in business. We put up charts and graphs and things, and we, and we talk about trends, and this is what's happening, and this is where we're going to go. Here's where our, here's where our the, profitability is going, and and it's, be, exactly, it's because exactly, but that doesn't really inspire people. Uh, but you know, so what is it that inspires people, and what really inspires people are our stories. So I I showed a a, a statistic that I pulled online, uh, saying that sixty five percent of the content of the most viewed TED talks online are actually stories. If you just look at the text of those uh, of, of those talks, which is quite interesting. And so to to make my point on that, uh, that is a piece of rhetoric, you know, st- stating a, st- a statistic. But in terms of storytelling and the emotional impact of storytelling and how it dovetails into the topic we're talking about today, I brought on the example of Twitter and Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and how that has been all over the news because uh, Elon is one of the 
richest people on the planet. And so he automatically garners a lot of attention. Uh, there's a lot of interest in Twitter because it has hundreds of millions of users. And so there's, uh, there's, a, there's already a demand uh, for any content that has to do with Twitter and this platform. And, and Elon brought on the VUCA, like you just mentioned. Yeah. All of a sudden, Twitter was, the, the, the environment around Twitter was volatile. It was very uncertain. It was complicated and ambiguous. And, uh, and so Elon's, it, it, you know, over the past several weeks since he took over Twitter, He's made a number of announcements and proclamations and statements on Twitter, which have caused all kinds of controversy uh, in the Twitterverse. And one statement that he made was uh, the, you know, the application is performing poorly. The app is performing poorly in certain countries for a certain reason. And he got so into there's, an there's rhetoric. There's rhetoric, right? And, and he's right. not wrong. That's rhetoric. And then <laughs> someone challenged the rhetoric, which is a natural response to rhetoric. That's a very, very important thing. When you use rhetoric, our minds automatically go into question mode, which is one of the reasons that rhetoric is not very good for persuasion because you automatically are seeding doubt in the people that you're trying to convince. Because so, they have their own facts. Because they have their own facts. And this, you know, one of the developers, uh, a Twitter developer said, well, actually that's wrong. And he got into an online debate uh, with, with Elon over whether Elon company. was right or not. Well, <laughs> in 24 hours, the engineer was out of a job. And and the, the point of, of telling the story in the context of the presentation is that it, it, it conveys emotion. We can see the struggle here. But the point in terms of the conversation we're having today, uh, one of the points is is and one of the points that I wanted to make in in the in the conference as well is is you know in 24 hours this this guy was locked out of the Twitter company accounts he took a picture with his phone of his computer screen saying well I guess I I guess it's official cuz I can't get into any of my systems anymore uh so he was locked out but the company had also locked themselves out of him and and so they they no longer had access to all of that experience that he had you know and all of the knowledge that he had in his head you know was no longer accessible to him and i think this is one of the risks uh that companies have to weigh and and it might be worth the risk right it's like well we got to get rid of all these people and uh so we're going to do it now in the case of twitter they just you know boom let thousands of people go and then that was it hey we're gonna uh, if you don't show up on friday to the office then just go not work somewhere else i think is what elon said is that right yeah and so they they, they lost an opportunity i think to harvest knowledge uh but there are other companies that can do it in a more orderly fashion or you know you you, you give people windows uh and you know that's just one of the one of the collateral damages of all of this is is uh the loss of this institutional knowledge. Now, if you're trying to remake a company and you're trying to change the culture, maybe you don't want all that institutional knowledge because that institutional knowledge may have been contributing to the problem right. in the first place, which is the case in, uh, or which could have been the case, for example, in Twitter, where, um, you know, there was a certain culture there and, and I don't pretend to be familiar with the culture, but the company was hemorrhaging money. 
And uh, yes, so, and, and you know, and Elon, you know, has this uh, ethos or this, uh, m you know, mythology about him, you know, in terms of his success because PayPal to, to uh, you know, Tesla to, to SpaceX and all those different things that he's done, but he started those from from scratch. In other words, he was able to 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 build those and create the culture there. And taking over Twitter was uh, that was a completely different scenario. So how do you do that and do it quickly? the right way. And but when you told that story from the perspective of that employee, I mean, just, you could hear the, you know, the gasps of most of the people in, in the audience were, you know, were employees. They're like, Oh man, what if that happened to me? And, and so the story that you told of this employee being locked out had a, a very strong impact on people's perception of, of how Elon did this and you know, whether it was done or not the right way. I mean, the, the, the influence was, it was probably done the wrong way because of that story. Well, one of the things that I found interesting is, uh, you know, th so there are a lot of uh, former Elon employees who over the years have come out and talked about how, A, you know, he was brilliant, B, very difficult to work for. Sure. So a colleague of mine, his daughter, was employed as a as an engineer for spacex right which is an elon company yeah and once a year they invite family to come out to the facilities in california so it, which are not open to the public and so so he was able to go along with his son and his wife and and uh his daughter was there and she was so proud that she was hired as an engineer uh, for SpaceX, it took her 27 interviews to get to get hired and everything. And while he was there, he started asking some of her coworkers about what it was like to work for test or for SpaceX. And what they talked about was the vision was so inspiring, you know, which was to colonize other planets. It's this right. massive vision that they didn't mind working their tails off. You know, one specifically said he was working for another like aerospace uh, defense contractor prior to joining SpaceX and said, I never would have, I, I, I never wanted to work 12 hour days in another company, but here I come here, I do it without it, without complaint at all. I want to be here because, because of the mission, the, because the, of the purpose, the purpose is so inspiring. The vision is so grand yeah. uh, that as you mentioned, the best minds are there. Right. In, in SpaceX, and they will work their tails off because they believe in what Elon has envisioned right. for that company. And I think the problem with Twitter or one of the challenges with Twitter, as you mentioned, not only coming in with an existing culture, but he didn't come in with a big vision at the outset. You know, so so the well, question I, was, I, I, what do we want to do with this? Well, for you some know, people there was and that was I, I am bringing First of all, I want it freedom of speech. So that was his vision is that we need to create free speech and, and there's, but for some people that's just, it wasn't enough. Well, later on, he came out with a little PowerPoint presentation, a slide deck that talked about making Twitter more like a super app, uh, taking inspiration from WeChat in China, uh, because WeChat really is the super app of China because you can do everything on WeChat. It's not just having conversations and posting things, but you use WeChat for payments and you use WeChat for all kinds of things. It really is kind of this underpinning infrastructure uh, 
in in China. And so, you know, he started to come up with a vision that was what you know, which was a more broader uh it was it was a broader view of what Twitter could be uh as opposed to to what it is now. But the challenge is if you don't have that vision at the outset, then it's hard to inspire people to come along with you for the ride. And the message is getting lost in all the other stories that are happening. That's right. So it's all, it was all the VUCA thing, just like you talked about. Right. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because he, he, he missed an opportunity, I think here. Uh, But on, on the other hand, you've only got so much time to, to, you know, if you're an, an enterprise that, depends on revenue you only have so much time before you don't have any more choices and you're out of business and and so to stop the hemorrhaging you know sometimes you you have to act i have been in a situation i want to tell a story now where uh, i think i made the wrong choice on behalf of maybe mercy or or uh consideration for the employees that that ended up ultimately hurting me and and my company I was working for a leadership training development company, started there in 2008, and I had to learn how to sell differently than they did because it was all a referral system, and I had no, I had no referrals. Um, I, had no, I hadn't been there, so how do you start and sell? They had a real challenge with retaining salespeople because of their sales models. As a matter of fact, in five years, I think out of 55 salespeople that they hired, two stayed uh, that entire five years. I mean, that's a pretty terrible turnover rate. And so the system was not effective, it was broken. So one of the ways I I, I got around that is, is that I started speaking so that I could create a pipeline of potential clients. I obviously contacted my own personal contacts. I went into the, the, the uh, database of old clients that are, were no longer active and, and attacked them. And I had success. And as a result, I was promoted to uh, sales manager. Well, in this company, we needed, you know, after the recession, uh, you know, 2008, they needed me to sell. They hired me to do training. So all hands on deck for sales was, was necessary. And we, they, I couldn't be a sales manager without selling. They just needed my production, which is never really a good thing because then you're competing against your sales teams. Well, one of the challenges that we had is one of the top salespeople there was frustrated that he wasn't promoted to sales manager. And when I was, um, there's a little bit of competition, which is not uncommon in, in organizational settings, but we had set up a system for sharing leads. So when a lead would come into the company that was new and fresh, uh, we would rotate that among salespeople, including myself as a selling manager. Well, from an employee's perspective, they could say, well, the fox is in the hen house. You're going to cherry pick the best best leads. That did not happen. But that was the story that he began to tell everyone else because I was outselling, just was having success and didn't make him look good. So he would tell everyone else that, you know, Spencer is, is cherry picking all, all the leads. We had a big argument. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we, we changed how, you know, had somebody else do it just so that there was no uh, ambiguity or, or, or reason to accuse. And, and that was unfortunate, but that's, that's what happened. So we wanted to do that to keep him, him happy. Well, this was an employee that was, as had been historically one of our best salespeople. Now he was struggling. And, and so now you, when you struggle, you get into politics instead of production. 
And so one of the things that we did to, to get him out of the office, uh, to, to, because of all the negative impact, not just on me, but on everybody, we incur- he wanted to move to another state. So we allowed him to, to work remotely. And this was back in 2012. And he was still causing problems. And the CEO at the time was so frustrated with him, wanted to fire him. And Christian, I advocated on behalf of this employee who had, you know, thrown me under the bus saying, listen, you know, he, he means well, his, his heart is good and we need his sales, right? We kept him. Well, eventually I became the CEO of that, that company and that decision not to let that toxic employee go, um, really hurt. I, I was hired as the CEO in 2013. Um, and in 2015 I was without a job. Why? Because this employee convinced the owner of the company that they needed to go back to doing what they'd always done in the past and not take the new ideas that I was bringing to the company to help them succeed. They had been failing financially for years. And I had a strategy and a plan to do it, to take them out of that. Uh, I had no money. I was, we were losing money, so I had to do it as, as cost effectively as possible. And it was a struggle. And so uh, I was let go. And at the time, it was, it was you know, very challenging for me personally. Today, I'm so grateful because everything that I was suggesting that that company do, I'm doing for my own business. And in 2018, I met a consultant that this company had hired, and he found out that I was the past CEO, so he was picking my brain. So tell me about the company. And and so I was sharing with him, well, here's what was going on, and here's what I had suggested. He goes, those are exactly the strategies that I've told them to implement three and a half years now later. So what happened is, is that, that a toxic employee held the company hostage for several years when they could have been implementing new strategies to, to succeed financially. But because you know, we, we let the employees linger and not take the, the hard stance of saying, all right, if you're not going to show up, if you're not going to uh, play ball, um, you're out of here. We were afraid of losing that institutional knowledge, losing that, that sale. And as a result, the company uh, struggled mightily and had to be sold. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that, that story, Spencer. Uh, it's a great lesson. As you were telling the story, two, two examples uh, in sport came to my mind. Uh, number one was the Utah Jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jazz had developed uh, what many had perceived as one of the top basketball development programs in the National Basketball Association, uh, led by their coach, Quinn Snyder. Right. Uh, but their performance plateaued. They, they couldn't advance past the second round of the playoffs. And so the new owner of the Jazz brought in a new president of the Jazz, Danny Ainge. And, and we don't understand, or we are not privy to all of the backroom deals and, and so on and so forth. But what we can see are the results. They let the go of star coach, players. Who, the coach who was revered as one of the smartest coaches in the league yeah. uh, resigned. And they cleaned house all but three I think three, maybe four of the players were were traded or waived, and they started completely fresh. So, so be be clear though. We're talking about the some of the most productive top three producing players were traded. 
Oh yeah, three-time defensive player of the year. Uh, uh, you know, two-time All-Star uh, in Donovan Mitchell. And so the conventional wisdom around the league was, uh, well, the Jazz are entering a rebuild phase and they're going to tank. Right. They can get high draft picks in the future. And uh, so they brought in a bunch of people and they brought in a new coach who installed a new system. And, you know, they're not the best team in the NBA, but they sure are fun to watch. And they play really hard uh, for, for, their, for their coach and for the organization. Uh, and what's not to like about that? that? Yeah, the, the point of all that is, is, is that sometimes you have to make hard choices if you want to get your organization to another level. And, and uh, so just like you were reticent to get rid of your top performer. And it was a mistake. Uh, it was a mistake. The Jazz were reticent to do that until they brought on somebody who was like, you know what, we're going to pull the trigger and we're going to get good value for them. Uh, the the other sport analogy just happened this weekend. We we live in Salt Lake City. University of Utah is a Pac-12 school. They're in the Pac-12 conference. The worst team by a mile in the Pac-12 conference is Colorado. The University of Colorado. Sorry, any Colorado fans? Uh, yeah, they just really struggled. They've and and they and it's and it's been a long time. You know, they had a great season in 2016. Uh, but uh, but aside from that, it's been it's been pretty lean for them, and they're coming off the probably the worst year in their history. Uh, they let go of their coach early in the year. They had an interim coach who the players liked, and they played hard for that coach. Uh, but they decided to pull out the the big money, and they they lured uh, primetime Deion Sanders to become the head coach who. Is a, has a very bombastic uh, personality, and he came in and basically did the same thing. Started cleaning house, saying, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna, we got to get top performers in here. You don't like where we're going? Hit the transfer portal. Get out of here." It was very similar to kind of the Elon uh, Musk approach. Uh, Listen, to the team. because he has no time to, because he knows he'll be out of his reputation and his future are, are at stake here. That's right. Uh, he's under the gun immediately. And so he's got to t he's got to turn that thing around, and uh, the 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 challenge there is is you you just like with Twitter, right? You you get pushback from from people. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Right. But uh, but uh, so you may get a lot of complaining, but at the same time, you've got to you've got to make some really really hard choices. That being said, uh, to come back to the title of our discussion today it's best if you can find a balance uh a way that satisfies both the needs of the employers to be profitable while at the same time respecting the the worth of your of your employees you know who have who have given in many cases they're all uh for years uh you know not in a toxic way or everything or anything but that you know they're they've been trying hard uh, and they are human beings, and, and uh, they should be treated with with dignity and respect. So that's the real conundrum I think we're facing right now in this environment is well, how do you strike that right balance? And that's why I'm glad we're having our conversation today. So that's, that's a great transition, and uh, I think we need to uh, – let's do a little transition to that.
I love how that ends on a dissonant chord. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it, it, well, well, it, it, bring balance means we bring it to resolve, right? But that I love the stinger. It's just like <laughs> if if you've got some experience in this, we'd love to hear from you um, online. But a couple things I think are, are important. First of all you've got to build trust because it, it, how you treat the people, even the ones that you want to leave, will leave an impact on those that stay. You know, you talked about creating that, that, that purpose and, and vision to inspire people. Well, that's really important. But if you're, if you're not behaving in ways that are consistent with what you say and believe, that creates dissonance with with your staff and, and even your best people who choose to stay are not going to trust you. And if your people don't trust you, they're not going to, they're going to be worried. They're going to be looking for the next opportunity. They're going to have one foot in and one foot out. And so you have to also think about, there are top performers in your organization always that you want to keep. There are great people in Twitter that Elon wants to keep. There are great football players at Colorado that, that, that coach Sanders wants to keep. But how do you how do you keep them? Because you're you're probably going to lose some of your top performers as well. Well, one way is you start to to you have to you have to say what you mean and mean what you say. So be someone that is consistent and and take a stand. I think a lot of leaders when it when it comes to working in the office or uh, you know hybrid versus uh, all in or or working remotely are are not taking a stand. They're just, they're leaving it up to their employees and, and then they're getting frustrated with the results. And so they're, they're, they're applying pressure in, in, um, in, in different ways that are causing a lack of trust. Let me give you an example. There's a, um, not just, I, I know of a situation where a CEO wants to, uh, create more autonomy with his leadership. So because he's been micromanaging for, for years and it's caused lots of stress and anxiety in the organization. So verbally saying, okay, I'm pulling back, I'm giving you more authority. But then he's doing backdoor micromanagement, just changing how he does it because of fear that things aren't getting done and just because it's, he, he doesn't know how to let go right now. And, it's, and, and the employees see right through it. You can't fool them. And so the trust is, is not changing and the engagement and frustration, the engagement is still down and the frustration is still high. So you've got to say what you mean and mean what you say in order for people to trust you. If to, if, if, and I think Elon's, he said, listen, this is what we're going to do. Get on board or get out. I think you can say it better than that, though. But be consistent, take a stand. And, and, and that's the first thing. So you want to build trust. Secondly, You've got to be transparent. And this goes back to what you were talking about, you know, purpose and, and mission and, and actually let people know what's happening in the organization. And, and do it in, in not just with facts and figures, but share that data with, with stories and, and talk about what's going on with the organization and why we need to be in the office, say, you know, 80% of the time or whatever it is that, that you're wanting to accomplish in terms of the change right now. Here's where we are. Here's what we need. Here's where we need to be. Here's the gap. We need your help to close that, that gap. And so letting people know, and that also builds, builds trust. People crave certainty, as, as I said a minute ago. So if you're creating that VUCA world, we already live in it. People are already watching the news every day wondering if they're going to have a job. So 
as a matter of fact, employees' needs right now have dropped. Uh, remote work has dropped to twelfth. Just keeping their job has has been the number one priority. Eighty-one percent say that they're afraid of losing their job, and so they are complying against their own will. Well, if I'm a leader, I don't want you complying. You know, it's, it's, this is like a forced marriage, right? I I, I want someone who wants me back. So if I'm a leader, I, I want the relationship to be mutually beneficial. So make sure that you're building trust. Make sure that you're letting them know what it is that you your intentions are and where you want to go. Um, and then give them reasons why it's it's important to be in the office. And let's talk about that. What are some reasons why it's important that we have all hands on deck in the office? I mean, if you can think about remote work, which has many benefits versus office work, what are some of those benefits? Well, some of the benefits of being in an office are just close physical proximity to people, which allows for more uh, natural ad hoc communication. You know, we uh, with with online work, it, it takes a bit more planning, right, to to have meetings and so on and so forth. So it's, more time, more communication. It's less efficient. That's right. So, so it does, it, it does increase efficiency. I, I don't want to derail your train of thought here, but I don't want to forget this either because some of the things that you said, I mean, they're really, really important. It's impactful. Going back to the Utah jazz example. So, so the jazz, they clean house, they kept a few people and, and some of that is, you know, sometimes contracts are hard to move and so on and so forth. So, but yeah. one of the people that they kept is Jordan Clarkson. And from what I've read and what I've seen following the team, uh, Jordan. I love where you're going. Jordan was, he was identified as, as uh, a big uh, positive impact on locker room culture and leadership. And he had a traditional role, which he's had for most of his career, which is coming off the bench, being the explosive six man, providing instant office, uh, offense, excuse me, they call him the flamethrower. And the coach pulls him aside and says, Jordan, this is where we want to go with our team. And for us to do this, we need you to play a different role not just coming off the bench, being the flamethrower, jacking up shots, playing an isolation game, but coming in as a starter, being a facilitator, running the offense, getting other people involved. Now, for a lot of people, that's hard to do, right? It's hard, especially after you've been working for a long time, it's hard to be asked to do something else. So number one, A, I, first thing, I applaud the coach for having the stones to go up to a player who's making a lot of money and saying, you know what, this is where we want our team to go for this to happen. We need you to play a different role. So he had the confidence to actually go in and ask that person. Number two, I got to give Jordan Clarkson a huge amount of credit for saying, all right, whatever the team needs, I will do it. You know, and that attitude has permeated the jazz team because they've tinkered around with a lot of different starting lineups, a lot of people different coming off the bench at different times, which can be uncertain, but they're buying into the overall vision and they got the locker room leader to buy into that too. So it's not only 
coming down the edict from on high, but now you have peers who are who have bought in and they're coming at it too. And when you've got both your leadership and your peers on board, it's easier for the rest of us you know, to get on board because we see that the people that we look up to, they're actually on board with this vision. They're following up. And so, you know, we can get on board too. We see that with the University of Utah who just won the Pac-12 championship. We've talked about it before on this podcast where the head coach, Kyle Whittingham, has set that culture, but the players buy in, especially the leaders, the captains of the team, everybody else wants to follow along. He's the, he's the master of getting people to accept different roles and responsibilities, <laughs> convert from wide receivers to linebackers or from quarterbacks to running backs yeah, it doesn't, or whatever it is. He just takes the talent and fi- finds the best spot for them. And That's right, and they're willing to do it. They're willing to do things that they may not be comfortable doing, that they're not used to doing, but they're willing to do it because, A, this guy's got a vision. B, there's a culture that he's established here which has been adopted by the leaders in that organization, the people that have a lot of influence in that organization. And people and so want to be part of a along. winning team, Christian. They want to be a part of a winning team. Yes. And so to do what you know, so to come back to your whole thing about getting people to come back in the office, if you've got the CEO and you've got some, and that CEO or that leader, that manager, that director, whoever it is, is able to get buy-in from some of the key people on the team, other people will follow, you know, they will follow. And, and uh, I, I just think those sports, uh, I love the sports analogies because they're public and we can see that, you know, with something that we often have in common, you can go in and you can research it uh, without too much effort. Uh, uh, but I, I find it personally really, really inspiring, uh, the example of, of the Jazz and Jordan Clarkson. You know, as a leader, you want to create change. You got to imagine that you're setting up a little campfire and you're cooking s'mores, right? You want, you want people to come join you at your campfire. Well, what's going to happen is, is that if you, if you create an environment where people want to, you're going to have some leaders that will come and join you. And that's what we're talking about. Get those influencers to come down so they can cook s'mores with you. But what's going to happen is you're going to have a couple of people that are going to be circling the campfire saying, I don't know if I want to join in that campfire or not. And if they see others like Jordan Clarkson or others, then, then they might be more willing to go. You're going to have a couple of people that are going to say, hey, I want my own campfire. I'm not joining that. I'm going to do that over here. Well, those are the people that, that you've got to let go. But there are some people that are going to be on the fence. And so the best way to, to get them into, you know, and to create that change is absolutely what you said is to create that buy-in. And that's all about building trust. So back to, thanks for derailing there. No, no, no. Back to some of the benefits. You know, one of the other benefits that comes from being in the office is you actually have access to leadership. You have the ability, you talked about ad hoc meetings. Well, that also means having leadership see you in action. So that is then beneficial to your career. Um, I, I, I was just talking to a gentleman uh, who I met. I won't tell you what state I was speaking around the, the country and and uh, we had a conversation yesterday. He wants me to coach him because you know he's had uh, some success in the past, but then has gotten to a place where the track record is is not so good. And he wants to turn that he wants to turn that around. Well, it's hard to do that remotely. If there's an opinion about you, um, you want to change that. 
people need to see you in action. They need to see you on the court. They need to see you taking assignments. You need to be able to ask for those assignments and be able to show that you can do them. And so people can see you under fire doing a great job so that they can change that opinion of you. So that's an opportunity that is best done in person. Also, I think a couple other things is that, you know, you get recognition and people, some people crave it. Now, it doesn't have to be public. There are some people on the, well, I don't need recognition. Well, everybody likes to, to be appreciated, whether that's a sincere one-on-one uh, appreciation or public recognition. If you're honest, people like to have that. Um, so those, I think, are some of the, the benefits. And if you can share those stories, like here are the benefits, here's how it's going to help you. But more importantly, here's how it's going to help the organization, which will also help you. And, and, and we need you to be that role player. We need you to, to step up. The problem I think we're having, Christian, is, is that through the pandemic, people took those roles and sacrificed and worked hard and feel like maybe they were taken advantage of. And so there's some exhaustion that we have to also consider in the mix right now. What would you say to that? I can't hear you. <laughs> I muted myself. Uh, Spencer, you've always talked, I mean, since we first started having conversations, first started doing these podcasts, uh, you do the personality, you do the profiles, um, and we've talked about how people act under pressure. And people have been under pressure for a while now. You know, uh, Many companies are high-pressure environments anyway, but then you layer on top of that COVID and all the uncertainty that's happened, all this VUCA stuff um, over the last couple of years, it can be, it can be, it can be really exhausting, you know? Uh, and, and sometimes you just have to deal with it. I, I laugh you going back to the jazz because uh, it was earlier, it was last week. Um, uh, the coach, you know, the, the team had lost five games in a row. Uh, and so what did the coach do? The coach went with a seven man rotation and he kept a couple players in for pretty much the entire second half and they were tired and, 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 um, you know, a couple of them said, we need a, we need a breather. Right. So what did the coach say? The coach said, well, use your timeout wisely. I'm going to call a timeout, use that to get hydrated, rest. Because I'm not taking you out of the game. Right. I can't afford to take you out of the game. We have to get this win. Right. And and they did. They ended up winning the game. And uh, that's you can, okay. You can rest after the game. We'll take a day off tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. That's okay in, in spurts. But sometimes, I mean, you just have so much to give and you cannot give anymore. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and people become quite weakened. And so you've got to have a good pulse on your team. When, when you can drive them past a limit that they think that they have and when you've got to just say, you know what, you need, you need, to, you need to take a breather. So that, that to, brings me to another point is, is part of getting them on board is invest in their well-being. So I was working with uh, KPMG recently. You know, it's a, a huge consulting firm, one of the big four, and it is a high-pressure environment. And they are expect. I mean, they, they have – very high profile clients. The, the, the demands of clients are very high. The expectations internally for productivity are very, very high. And so you have a lot of young aspiring climbing managers, but it, it takes a toll. So one of the things they invest in is, you know, mental health care. They have psychologists, they have 
uh, you know, they have different healthcare opportunities and gyms and, and, and just, you know, mindfulness activities and, and exercises and experts that come in and help people to figure out how to find balance and, because that's a myth, really. We, we don't always have balance, but how to, how to use those timeouts to their advantage and how to, to get those, you know, those breaks. I, I, I don't know how you do it with all the international travel. I was talking to somebody who was uh, traveling and was saying, oh my gosh, I'm so jet lagged. And, and Christian, I just like, you know, th there's no time to be jet lagged. And, and so one of the things I do is, you know, I, I sleep on the plane. Well, I do my best to sleep on the plane because I know that I, I don't always have the time to, to rest when I'm in country or with clients. Or, so you find the rest where you can. That's right. That's right. Now I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, holy smokes, we've been talking for almost an hour, Spencer. What? This is uh, terrible. The time has flown. Uh, so we got to wrap it up. But what are your final thoughts on this important topic of striking balance? Well, I, I think one other thing to consider is uh, give people guidelines. You don't want them to have to think about things that you don't need them to think about. You want brain power takes a lot of energy. So you want them to use that energy for productivity and not for worry. And so give some guidelines so they don't have to think, well, when do I have to be in the office? You know, how do I do it? We don't want them thinking about things that aren't important. Understand how the brain works and, and start to help people to reserve that energy for productivity. We only have so much available energy. So be very mindful of that. And our whole goal is to create an environment where teams work a better way. That's why this podcast exists. If you're right now sitting there as a leader saying, hey, yes, you know, I have power. I can, I can get rid of low performers. Remember that the pendulum will swing back again. Find balance in that. You want to get the best out of people. Certainly you have to do what's best for the business. But part of what's best for the business is also what's best for your people. Uh, very, very well said, Spencer. Uh, you've helped so many organizations over the years. If people want to learn, they're struggling finding balance with their employers or employees. Uh, you're the perfect person to help them. So what's the best way for them to reach out and contact oh, you? Oh, thank you. I mean, it, it, just, gosh, Altium, I don't even know what to say. AltiumLeadership.com, that's A-L-T. IUM leadership.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn, Spencer Horn. Uh, I'm with Altium Leadership and, and Christian, vice versa. I mean, I love your, your you're just so quick to, to bringing the examples and the stories uh, just right off the top of your head. So, uh, but those come from years of experience in helping major organizations. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, LinkedIn's great. Just look up Christian Napier on LinkedIn, you'll find me there. Uh, please uh, reach out and connect with me. Also, uh, feel free to email me, Christian, so C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, at raconto.io. It's R-A-K-O-N-T-O dot I-O. So, Spencer, uh, another amazing hour. Thank you for educating me. I always learn stuff when I have a conversation with you. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. And please continue to like and subscribe to our podcast. We'll catch you again soon.